Hello there and welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today we're talking about week number seven of Dana White Contender Series. We've got five total bouts on the card as usual, Tuesday night coming up at 8 p.m. Eastern. The main event's gonna feature a fight between two Brazilian fighters in a rematch they fought a few years ago, Rodolfo Bellato versus Vitor Petrino. We have a women's bout on the card, also a heavyweight bout. We'll be each fight one fight at a time, give you our breakdown of who we like, who we don't like, some betting implications. We'll also do a quick review of last week. We'll start with that first, and then go to our breakdowns. Let's get to it. Let's recap week number six for Dana White Contender Series. We had five bouts, of course, as usual, last Tuesday, the 30th of August. We went four and one. The one fight we got wrong was the Maria Silva fight. And it cost us quite a bit because we had her in some parlays. Now we had Blake Builder in the fight opening, the first fight in the card, winning at plus 180. Great, love that. Matisse Rebecca winning the fight. He was a minus 240 favorite. That was a pretty easy selection there. Dumas, we liked him as a dog at plus 130. He gets the win in round one by submission. In the main event, Yasaka Kaneshita with an amazing round three knockout finish over Jose Enrique. If you track this online though, we walked away with a small amount of winnings. And that's an example of how we had the correct picks per se, but the betting angles were just not on point. And Maria Silva did cost us. Not the uh, best of weeks from a betting perspective, but pretty damn good from a prediction perspective. So 4-1, moving on to next week. Here we go. The car will open up with a women's bout in the flyweight division at 125 pounds. Teresa Blita, who goes by Ronda, as in Ronda Rousey, from the Czech Republic, is a huge favorite now, sitting around minus 650 or so. 5-0, undefeated, very impressive, has a win over a current UFC fighter. We'll talk about that in a moment. Versus the Brazilian, Mayara Maya. Kind of rhymes, right? Mayara Maya. Anyway, Maya is 7-0-1, also undefeated, technically. 401 her last five fights. A big dog here, plus 350 to plus 400, depending on what book you're using, at a Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. 32 years old for Maya and only 20 years old for Blita. My gosh, she is so young. And that in itself, red flag, red flag, red flag. I get it, she's better. We all agree that she's the better overall fighter. She's probably better on the ground. Somewhat better than the feet, we'll talk about that. But my God, 20 year old fighter, minus 650. The books are begging you to bet on Maya here. And I'm going to be betting on Maya. I'm going to choose Maya to win. Now, people say, oh, it's because of the numbers. No, no. They're both inexperienced. And Maya has a way to get submissions. And Blita opens herself up to submissions, as we'll talk about. Back to the basics. Blita is five foot nine. Maya is 5'5". Five five. So four-inch height advantage there for Blita, which she will use in grappling situations for an advantage, but not on the feet. And if anyone tells you that Blita has good combinations on the feet or she's a good striker, bullshit. Neither fighter's a good striker. They're both serviceable on the ground. They're not very good. Takedown offense is sporadic. Blita is not a good takedown wrestler. So if you've heard that, again, bullshit. I'll show you clips on this video breakdown of her trying to get takedowns where it's like, why are you crawling on your knees? Are you tired or is it just bad takedown offense? But the person she's fighting against is so bad where she gets them down. It's low level, very low level women's MMA. And I don't think either fighter here should be favored by more than minus 220 or more. So Blita should be like a minus 220 favorite. That would be appropriate. Minus 350, minus 400, minus 600. That's craziness. Well, not for Blita. She trains out of Hunan, Jim, and Prague, as in Prague, Czech Republic. And if you don't know, the Czech Republic is in the infant stages of mixed martial arts. Obviously, you have some of the men, but from the women's side, it's very much in the infant stages. 
Ashford Maya out of Nova Uniao. And Nova Uniao, what we know about that gym is they have some warriors in there. They have UFC fighters in that gym. The same time I've watched film on her and I wish she was better. Now let me go back to like the pre-fight breakdown. When I first watched film on these two fighters, when I first watched film on Blita, I'm like, okay, you're a big favorite. I saw the numbers. I'm expecting some kind of amazing ability. And I thought to myself, wow, she's so slow. She doesn't move very well. And then I watched Maya's film and I'm like, oh, hold my beer. So it wasn't like I could watch film and separate them, which is why, again, the money line is begging you to bet on Maya here. Now look at the background of these two fighters here. Let's talk first about Teresa Blita from Czech Republic. Went 6-0 as an amateur. You like that. One of her amateur wins was an exhibition bout where she won over Lucy Putalova. If you want to watch the fight, the link's down below. It was an odd bout where every time someone had a takedown, the referee would come in and just get him back up. It was some kind of unique fighting rules. I did not see Blita separate herself and do amazing in that fight. A matter of fact, it was a split decision win for her. On the feet, you saw Lucy Putalova kind of piece her up because on the feet, Teresa Blita is not good. <laughs> and no one's going to tell me otherwise. She's not on the feet. In this matchup, Nayara Maya is worse than her on the feet, so she's, she'll be okay there. But on the feet, horrible. And in that fight against Lucy Putalova, she may have won. It says by decision on tapology, but it was a split decision win. It was very close, very awkward rules. I didn't take away from that fight like, oh, she beat a fighter who's now currently UFC, and that's amazing. Nah, scratch that. I would treat that fight as a, a neutral situation where she may have won, she didn't lose. Neither fighter really stood out. Awkward rules. So if you hear Capper's telling you like, she beat Lucy Pulova, yeah, pump the brakes. That doesn't really resonate. If you watch the fight, you know what I'm talking about. It was very vanilla. Her last fight, she beat Lima. Round one, round and pound win. Her prior fight, Edna Oliveira. Round one, armbar win. She's had four finishes in her last five fights. Obviously has some finishing ability. There's a lot to like from Blita if you're just looking at the numbers. She went pro two years ago, very young. She fights out of a right-handed stance. She's not an orthodox fighter, not left-handed fighter. Her opponents have been, okay. Red flag for me was when she fought Carolina Martins. That was 2021, a decision win for her. Martins has some experience. She's nine and four overall. Martins was backing up. She was not pushing the pace. She was very, she looked intimidated. Now, Blita tries a spinning maneuver with about 14 seconds to go in the fight. The fight's about to be over. Blita tries like a spinning, a back kick, whatever, but then stops in the middle of it. And she's like, oh, ha ha. Looks at her opponent. She's like, oh, I was going to do something there. I know I'm winning, but like, whatever. I was going to do something. And then ding, ding, ding. And you see now Blita goes and say, oh, my leg, <laughs> my leg. It starts limping and like falling down. I thought to myself, hmm. You know what that is? Number one, that, that's faking. You weren't hurt. Watch the fight again. Watch Caroline Martins versus Teresa Blita. And watch how Blita is totally fine. With 14 seconds to go, she's trying spinning stuff and like, oh, I was just messing with you. The bell rings, fight's over, and she's like, oh, my ankle. She falls on the ground, like, like you know, makes a bit, a bit of drama. I don't like betting on people who try to create sub-stories, making your win look better. LeBron James, my hand was broken. Mike Tyson, spinal, had a broken back. It's funny, it's cute. It makes you look like you were the warrior, the flu game, Michael Jordan. You trying to be Michael. Blita, you were fine. You were acting. You were trying to make the moment bigger than what it was. You were trying to pull a carry shrug in gymnastics. I saw it, I watched it. Huge red flag for me. She cares more about how the win looks instead of getting the win. 
She's the kind of person who will rather look good and lose than to look plain old Jane and win. And I just, I saw it in the film. It, it's right there. You could watch it yourself. Explain it to me another way. When the bell rang, all of a sudden the injury just set in. Now, granted, that was a year ago. She's much older now. She's 20 years old. She's much older now. She's much more matured. Now, what does Belita do well? Well, she's very active. She fought three times last year and four times in 2020. So seven times total in the last three years. Now, she didn't fight this year yet, but still very active. You like that. She's got good submission defense. I mean, that would be an understatement. She's always fighting off guillotines. She always exposes her neck. Grappling is the heart of her game plan. She wants to grapple, pursues takedowns, weird takedowns from a wrestling technique perspective, but she likes being on top, landing hammer fists. She's very powerful in her ground attack. I think some people confuse her striking ability with her ground ability. If you're striking hard on the ground, it's a different type of striking, put it that way. You could imagine some people are effective on the ground with striking, but on the feet, not as technical. That would represent her. Her takedown offense is suspect. We'll talk more about it, but it's effective. Now, especially against lower level competition. A very high finish rate. Four of her five wins have been by finish, twice by KO, two times by submission. That's impressive, especially at 125 pounds for women's division. Gotta acknowledge that. Now, what are my concerns for her? When I first watched her in film, so slow on the feet. The punching is slow. I thought to myself, why is she so favored? Eventually I saw her grappling and I understand that's where she's favored at and I get where she's effective there, but whew, the striking is not good. And I heard some people try to actually suggest that her striking is good. <laughs> How? <laughs> she's very slow. She lacks quickness. She lacks speed. A limited stand-up game in general. Her stand-up offense is nil. Her stand-up defense is eh. If she fought, for example, an average striker, not even above average, just an average striker who could defend some takedowns, she'll lose. Unfortunately, that's not who Maya is. Maya is also a grappler too, so she'll fall into the wheelhouse of Blita. But any kind of like a striker that would stay at range, <laughs> yeah, it'd be a mess for Blita. The last issue, the last bit of concern I have for Blita is she has a propensity to expose her mofo neck. If her opponent here, Maya, has worked on guillotine chokes, can get in position for an arm bar, she'll have opportunities. They're going to be there. It's women's MMA. Neither fighter is that much stronger than the other. In the case of Blita, again, I think she's looked stronger at times because of her opponents. In this matchup, she should be stronger, yes. But stronger meaning what? Stronger meaning still making a mistake in a position? Let's talk here about her opponent, Nayara from Brazil. My professional about four years ago, 2018, no amateur experience, also right-handed. So we have two right-handed fighters. She fought in Budo Sento and Jungle Fight, part of this opportunity. She's a brown belt in BJJ, and I want to emphasize this. A brown belt from Brazil, what does that equate to? Just enough to be a problem? Just enough to make you think twice about betting on bleed at minus 600 on the money line? Just saying. Last year, she fought Nadia Vera. It went to a draw decision. Vera is 3-0-1 overall, also inexperienced. The fight almost immediately went to the clinch. And when I first watched the fight, I thought to myself, oh my God, Maya is even worse at striking and at range than Blita. Like, just bad. Like, immediately went to like a tussle. When you're watching like a fight on the internet where two people who don't know how to fight or two women just start grabbing each other's hair and just like, 
that's kind of what it looked like. And I thought to myself, oh, geez. So I guess on the feet, Maya could have had an advantage here <laughs> over Blita, who's also terrible on the feet. But no, Maya's even worse. She's like, hold my beer. I'm, I'm also terrible on the feet. Yeah, it was bad. Now, she got some takedowns. Almost every single round was the same. It was rinse and repeat. Maya on top for pretty much, I would say, more than half of the fight. <laughs> on top, securing position, landing some shots here against Vera. But what I walked away with, you were in top control more than half the fight. You couldn't get a submission. You couldn't get a finish. And so I have to heavily doubt the finishing ability. She's had some finishes by TKO and submission. But the reality is in that moment, in that vacuum against Vera, for five damn rounds, she was on top for almost half of every round and could not get a finish. Now, next fight to talk about Larissa Miranda. She fought Miranda back in 2020, two years ago, won the fight round two TKO according to Tapology. Miranda is 0-1. Now, what's the like about Maya? She'll use trips to get her takedowns. She's not a takedown wrestler type, not a single leg, double leg. She likes to work in close. Range is her weakest area. Blita has the range in her. She has longer arms. So both fighters like to work in close. We're going to have a grappling affair, no question, against the fence, on the ground. Who gets top control? Who gets a submission attempt longer? Those things will matter for some of the close rounds. She also has a good finish rate. Five of her seven wins are by finish, three by TKO and two by submission. But pump the brakes. It's against fighters that we really can't be sure of their quality of potential. And I'm not surprised that this fight goes the full distance. I mean, it makes sense to me. Two fighters who have holes in her game, who like to grapple, and you can sort of see even and out. And lastly, I like to hear about Maya is, if she's on her back, she will look for submission attempts, arm bars in particular, very flexible, good lower leg flexibility, get her legs around the opponent's head, look for submission attempts. She'll probably be on her back at some point. Now, what are my concerns here for Maya? Well, being on your back's not a good thing, so get back to that point. If she works off her back too long, it's not successful, she'll lose those rounds. And much like her opponent here, on the feet, there's no striking technique. It's slow. It's raw to be nice. It's limited. I also have to question her finishing ability. We talked about it before. She's had fights where she's been on top for most of the fight and could not get a finish against an inferior opponent. So I don't know how much her submission or finishing ability translate, translates to this fight. Excuse me. I have a feeling this fight probably goes the full distance. Two women equally matched more than the money line suggests. Get an ugly decision here where... Probably Blita wins, probably, but you know what? Probably is not enough for me. At minus 675, I'm not going to touch that. I have to still stay on the side of Maya to get an upset here and win the fight. To bet on Teresa at the money line would be nuts. That's 700 bucks to make 100 bucks. It doesn't make any sense. She probably wins. I get that. I want to be a contrarian here. I'm choosing Maya to win. It's going to be ugly. There'll be some ground stuff involved. Women grabbing women. I'm going to stay with my pick here, Maya, by upset, most likely by submission, maybe off her back in some kind of a weird women's fight. That's my pick, guys. Next fight in the card is going to be a lightweight battle at 155 pounds between the Brazilian fighter Ishmael Bonfim, who goes by Mareta, versus Nariman 
Abazov, who hails from Azerbaijan. Abazov is 28-3 overall, 5 in his last 5 fights. We have a pick him here. Both fighters are sitting at minus 110 currently. I believe Abazov opened as the slight favorite, like around minus 140, but it's now come down to pick him range. Abazov is 28 years old, 5'8 in height, and we don't have a reach number on him. Having watched him on film, his arms don't look terribly long. Same as for Ishmael. They're both uh, more stocky guys, so I don't think reach will be much of an issue in this fight. And for, as for Naraman Abazov, he trains out of Gabala. The Brazilian fighter, Ishmael Bonfim, who goes by Mareta, 17-3 overall, also 5-0 in his last five fights. Sitting at pick and price from Brazil, 26 years old, 5'8 in height, so about the same height as his opponent. And he trains out of Cerrado MMA, which is a gym with some good fighters in there like Vincent Luque and company, along with his brother. As for the numbers on Tapology, it looks like Abazov is a big favorite. A little surprising there. The money line's equal, or pick him, but the money line doesn't always reflect what the public thinks. And the public here thinks on Tapology that Abazov is a big favorite. 82% of the votes on Tapology, only 18% coming in for Bonfim. I'm with the public. I do think Abasov is the better fighter. I'm not saying he's a much better fighter. I think the price range is great. If you like Abasov, it's a good value. I think these guys match up equally in a lot of areas, but when it comes down to the nitty gritty of it, who's going to push the actual fight and make it ugly, I think Abasov wins in that area. The fight also probably doesn't have the distance. I'll talk about those props. I think there's going to be some balance more likely in round two or three. All right, looking at the two fighters in their background, for Ishmael Bonfim, as we mentioned before, he's from Brazil and his brother's fighting on this card. He doesn't have just one brother. There's 10 total of these Bonfim guys running around. And yes, all brothers. Not sure about sisters, but yeah, hell of a big family. Must have done a lot of fighting as a kid between him and his brothers, which obviously got him into the fight game. He went professional about 11 years ago in 2011. No amateur experience. He's fought in LFA prior to this opportunity. He's 2-0 in the LFA. He fights of a right-handed stance. Now, Ishmael has a boxing background. When you watch him fight, I don't see the technique of a boxer. The high guard, that's impressive. Good technical stand-up defense for his boxing. But the actual boxing itself, I'm going to talk more about that. I don't really quite see the technique. It hasn't transitioned over to mixed martial arts. He went 4-1 as a pro boxer, and he went 24-3 as an amateur boxer. Much more fighting experience than you'd see from a typical Dana White Contender Series fighter, and also the same for his opponent. His last few opponents here for Ishmael, he fought Andre Augusto. That was this year, got a decision win. That was in the LFA. Augusto was slightly overweight for that fight. Wasn't a big factor, but just putting it out that he was overweight. Augusto's 12-4-1 overall. Not a bum, decent opponent. He wins that fight by decision. Now go way back in the tapology for Ishmael. He fought Adriano Moraes. The name doesn't ring a bell. He was the former one championship title holder. Just lost his belt the other day against Demetrius and the former UFC fighter. Nonetheless, Adriano Moraes is a very good fighter. So that's a loss that quality loss. Another fighter on his tapology, Renato Moikiano. He lost to Moikiano in 2014, about eight years ago, around when Rene could choke. And of course, Moikiano is currently in the UFC. Just some names to think about. So Ishmael has been fighting some good competition over the course of his career. Maybe not winning, but has faced some good opponents. Now, what's to like about Ishmael? High finish rate. Six of his last eight fights, he's won by a finish. He keeps his hands up very high. We talked about this. So his guard is up. At least you're not going to surprise him with a head kick or, or kind of a punch. His hands are up. He tends to be disciplined in that area. He commits to body shots. I like that. He'll specifically go for liver shots. He has a nice flying knee. Doesn't bring it out very often, but in his last fight, he did pull out a flying knee. It didn't land flush or perfectly, but it was still effective. It showed his athleticism and his ability to move quickly and be explosive. Now, what are my concerns here for Bonfim? Well, number one, he went to decision in his last two fights in LFA. So it moves up in competition, and now we have him going to decision, which I mentioned before. Good finish rate, but good finish rate against, you know, what kind of quality competition. He lacks quickness in his striking. That's my humble opinion. I could be seeing this off, but watching him on film, I'm thinking boxing background. I want to see like a nice sharp jab. Not so much. It's not what I saw from him on film. He also has a very limited ground game, as does his opponent. So I'm not trying to say his ground game is terrible and his opponent's going to out-wrestle him. No. But he's got weak submission defense. He has been submitted before. I heard one person say he's been submitted in all of his losses. 
The problem is in topology, I see the two prior losses don't give me a method of how he lost, but the last loss he did have was by submission. He tends to wind up for his big punches. Now, a lot of guys do that. It's not a fault unique to him, but he winds up, then gets off balance against a guy like Abazov, who also likes to wind up and throw heavy shit. You could see someone taking like a Francis Ngannou type punch to the face and being knocked out off balance. Unfortunately for Ishmael, again, he puts himself in situations where he is off balance. Question mark again, the boxing, the boxing technique. Where is the boxing technique when he's throwing these filling punches? I don't really understand. A very limited kicking game. He's a bit one dimensional. I hate to say it, but his entire fight is on the feet. Boxing does some grappling against defense, but nothing very impressive. Not really a submission artist. And again, limited kicking attack. So one last thing for him, low fighter IQ. And I don't want to be too critical of Ishmael. I think he's a decent fighter. I believe that he belongs in this situation here on Contender Series. People have suggested that he should be in the UFC already. Uh, yeah, how can that be? Here's a guy who is a one-dimensional fighter, has only been fighting okay competition. And when it comes to fighter IQ, not very good. A matter of fact, he chased a guillotine choke twice. I think it was his last fight. His last fight, the fight before, he chased a guillotine choke several times in the fight, ends up on his back, giving up position. And you're like, wait, dude, you're not really known for having good submission ability. You're chasing guillotines, giving up position for submission attempts. Didn't love it, especially in a fight that was pretty close. I think it was his last fight in the LFA that went to decision. Fighter IQ issue there, a bit of a red flag. Now let's talk here about the fighter from Azerbaijan, Mr. Abazov. No amateur experience, went professional 2013, so also been a pro for about a decade. Both guys have a lot of experience. He fought in AMC, EFC, and Fight Nights Global. Good level of competition. His last fight was against Marif Parayev. That was 2022. This year, around two TKO win. That was in the AMC slash EFC, if I'm looking up that correctly. They did like a little cross promotion type of thing. Parayev is 32-5-1 overall. Very experienced fighter. You'd like to see that. And a, a decent opponent overall. But you see what Abazov does right away. He comes out and just goes right after his opponent, pushes the pace, gets in his face, and tries to pretty much maul him. He tries to maul him for the entire first round. At some point, you see Nariman Abzov slow down a bit. That's my one concern. You can't fight like a wild man for all 15 minutes of a fight. So about the one-minute mark of the first round, you see him slowing down. I'm wondering where his gas tank will be. But then around until he comes back out, recharged, ready to go, pushes pace again, really comes at this guy, Abazov, and eventually gets the finish. It's more of a finish because his corner throws in a towel. And it was confusing to me because it didn't appear as if Marif was very hurt, but he must have had an actual injury. Now, he had some facial damage, and Abazov was winning the fight, no question. But it appeared as if it was a little bit of an odd situation because the towel got thrown in. You could see Marif was challenging his corner. He was on the feet. He seemed completely coherent. Nonetheless, a quality win over a decent opponent. Now, his prior fight, Shamil Zavarov, excuse me if I'm pronouncing that name, that was 2021, last year, around one TKO win. Zavarov was 46 and 1 at the time. Dude was about 37, 38 years old. So you got to put that in context. Getting older, a lot of fights. But much like the prior fight, you see the same thing in common with Abazov. He comes right at his opponent. He attacks him. He pushes pace and pressure and just wears down people. That's his approach. Now, he gets a knockout here in round one. It was an impressive knockout. But I would encourage you to watch the end of the fight. You're going to see Khabib Namagomedov make his way into the octagon. Things get a little bit crazy. What ends up happening, in essence, is my man here, Abazov, gets the win. TKO. He stands up over... After he's got the TKO, referee comes in, stops it. As he stands up and walks away, you see someone come into the octagon from Shamil's corner, and they're like in there immediately. As the as the you know uh, referees 
calling the fight off. This guy's in there right away. And then the guy appears to start coming towards Abazov, like to confront him, to say something or talk shit to him. And as that's about to happen, you see three or four people run into the octagon. One guy grabs this guy I'm talking about in question. Then Khabib comes into the cage. You see Khabib telling like one of these guys, like, listen, calm down. Khabib goes over to Abazov, congratulates him, and all is well. I guess what happened here is that Shamil Zavarov is one of the guys that's like a former mentor, colleague, cousin, relative of Khabib. And I guess he got his ass beat that night. Some of Khabib's people were there. <laughs> they were not happy, came into the cage. Kind of ironic that Khabib would be the one calming people down because we've seen Khabib in the cage post-fight, how he behaved when he wasn't very happy about situations between him and Connor. Anyway, nonetheless, interesting little factoid there. Um, a quality win, I guess, but you know, 38 years old, there's definitely some question marks there. Now, what's to like here about Abazov? The pressure and pace, we talked about it. He has a way of just wearing people down. Like they get tired of this guy being in their face. He's like a gnat. He keeps coming forward. He could take a few punches himself. So that pressure and pace, I think, is the factor for him to win fights, especially against equal fighters, level level fighters, against maybe a more technical fighter who's got better counter punching, move better, better feet, maybe could take him down. It could all be a problem. In this fight, it's probably going to be enough to get the win, is my, my opinion. <clears throat> I also like the fact that when he smells blood in the water, he goes for it. You know those guys, like, I give the example of the time when Nick, Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz punched Edwards in that fight what, a year or so ago, and he had him hurt in round five, and instead of, you know, Nate Diaz going for the kill, he's, like, in there pointing and, like, oh, I got you, dude. Like, no, 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 not Abzov. If Abzov senses you're hurt or thinks you might be somehow weakening in some way, shape, or form, he's coming for the jugular, he's going in for the kill. I love that about him. He will usually back up his opponent. So in the case of Bonfim, who's not very aggressive in his forward pace, I've seen him cut off the cage at times, good forward movement, but he's probably going to be backing up. He'll probably be fighting off his back foot. That will limit the power from Bonfim. It's something that Abazov does very well. He just forces people on their back foot. Also, the very high finish rate. Five of the last six fights for Abazov, he's won by a finish. I think the last four in a row by a finish. Again, it's not amazing. It's not technical head kicks. It's not... You know, Holly Holm beating Ronda Rousey. It's nothing that's going to wow you. It's more just shredding down a man's soul. You know, and it's a war of attrition with him where he rushes you at a high pace. He gets in your face, makes it tough for you to adjust. And that's his method of pretty much breaking the fighter he's in there with. Now, what are my concerns for Abazov? Well, he throws like a crazy man. It's all overhands. It's all hooks. There's not a single straight punch. Nothing's technical. You would think, well, he's setting up a takedown. No, he's just looking to brawl with you. He's looking to get into the back of the bar with you, have a few beers, and let's fucking fight. That's his style. That comes with consequences, right? You can't have a career. Well, I shouldn't say you can't have a career like that. Look at Tai Tuavasa. Tai Tuavasa is making a career of it, you know, getting a sniff of the heavyweight title, that area of the sport. But when you fight like this and you're a wild man, even at this division, you can pay some prices. So I don't love that about his game, but it is his style. He's also a bit of a headhunter. He doesn't work the body very much. I haven't seen the ground game. Rumor has it, he can do some groundwork. He's from Azerbaijan, not too far from Russia. Those guys tend to wrestle over there pretty well, but I haven't seen it. Some people are saying he does have better grappling and wrestling than Ishmael Bonfim, but that's in the bar pretty low because Bonfim's not a very good wrestler. Either has a boxing background. A bit of a one-dimensional fighter, and on the feet, he's headhunting. If he's not landing those headshots, it's one of those things where he can get himself tired. He's not working the body. can catch up to him. Now, we watched a handful of fights to break down this film. We watched Abazov versus Parayev, Abazov versus Zavarov, Bonfir versus Augusto, and Bonfim versus Disa. The Disa fight is more of highlights. If you're going to watch any one of those four fights, it's part of our free video library. You know the drill. It's down below. You see those links down there. 
All right, so some last few details here before I finish up this breakdown. When it comes to experience, these guys are way more experienced than your traditional Dana White contender series fighters. You got 28 and three versus 17 and three. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us we know more about who they are. We know more about what they like to do, how they fight. We know that Abazov is gonna rush you, gonna come forward. We know that Bonfim has good hands, is a good technical boxer, I guess, depending upon your opinion. Supposedly people think he's a good technical boxer. I think he's okay. Cardio, have a bit of an issue there. I do think that Bonfim has some cardio issues. I saw him get very slow towards the midway point of his last fight. Round two, he finishes round two. He's not even engaging. He's doing those thing of like watching the clock and be like, oh, it's only 10 seconds left. Let's just relax. My hands are on my head. Ooh, I'm tired. So if he doesn't have his cardio in check here against a wild man like Abazov, who just pushes pace for the hell of it with no technique, it could be a problem here for Ishmael. It might wear him down just emotionally as well, right? You know, mentally, physically, this guy's in my face, not getting in my face. Finishing ability. Both of them are decent finishers. I question the level of competition. I'm going to give Ezra to Abazov because of his fighting style. When it comes to striking, neither guy blows me away. I see power behind the punches, but I don't see a lot of technique. When it comes to grappling, big question mark. I'm not sure. So in conclusion, I think Abazov wins the fight. Now, the props I like because the props are now out. The fight not going to distance is minus 150. And I'm shocked at that because this fight to me has violence written all over it. At some point, either Abazov blows his wad, no cardio, and gets caught by Bonfim by a counter punch or just gets overwhelmed by Bonfim because he's exhausted. Or Abasov does what Abasov does, pushes pace and pressure and wears down Bonfim. I don't see this fight going to decision. So minus 150, great price there. Now, the fight ending in round two or round three with a specific fighter, those props are the same number. So for example, Abasov wins in round two, that's plus 800. Bonfim wins in round two, plus 800. If you go to round three, Abasov round three to finish the fight, any method in round three is plus 1,100 and the case for Bonfim plus 1,100. I will implore you, if you like either fighter, it's going to be a, a finish of some kind. I don't see it going the full distance. Those props, keep them in mind, play them at your discretion. I'll be playing some of them, not sure exactly how much. Now, as for the money line, I love Abasov here. I'm glad it's a pick and price. I'm not sure how I feel about all the fights in the card yet. I'm only breaking down one at a time, but at this point in the fight card, I have a suspicion that this might be one of my heaviest leans on the fight card because I do like Abasov a lot. I'm very surprised it's pick of money. I can't quite sure what to make of it. I'm even scared of this line, maybe suggesting to me that the bookies know something. Is there an injury or something behind the scenes that we're not sure of? Is it because Gabriel Bonfim, his brother's fighting on the card and so people are just like, it's the brother's thing. I don't know, but I like Abasov here a lot at minus 110. I love him. That's our breakdown. We like Abasov. Go look at this fight, guys. What do we have here? Heavyweight clash, 265 pounders, the big boys, Carl Williams, who's six and one overall versus Jimmy Lawson, who's also got one loss at four and one. Now, Carl Williams is a late replacement. This fight initially was supposed to be Mr. Lawson facing off against Kevin Skalforowski. Butchering, butchering that name, I apologize, but nonetheless here, Williams comes in pretty late replacement. That's a big red flag, obviously. You don't want to be a late replacement and also moving up from light heavyweight to heavyweight. We'll talk more about that. So a lot of reasons why Carl Williams probably should lose the fight, but we'll break it down for you guys. We'll give you some ideas for how both fighters possibly could win and how Carl Williams could be an upset here and possibly win the fight as a dog. Though I do want to get out of the way. I do think Jimmy Lawson wins the fight. If you follow narratives, there's a lot of reasons why the UFC would like a guy like this, not to mention they are depleted in the heavyweight division. Anyway, back to the basics information. These two fighters, Carl Williams, 6-1 overall, 4-1 his last five fights, a slight dog here around plus 145. Hails out of the Virgin Islands, actually, even though he's now based out of Atlanta, Georgia, where he trains out of American top team in Atlanta, not American top team in Florida. Bit of a difference. 
32 years old for Carl Williams, six foot three in height with a 77 inch reach. The reach is not listed on Tapology, but it's listed in some of his prior fights. As for Mr. Lawson, the standout wrestler from New Jersey, 4-1 overall record, not much experience, similar to his opponent here, a slight favorite at minus 175. Now that is surprising. You would expect a late replacement guy like Carl Williams to come in here and be a bigger dog. This shocked me. Now either I'm missing something or the bookies know something, but I'm gonna slam that minus 175 and parlay that and I'll play it straight up because it seems like to me, you're getting as best value as you can imagine for a guy who after this fight probably will look more like a minus 250 to minus 300 favorite in my humble opinion. Again, of Manchester, New Jersey, six foot in height, shorter for the heavyweight division for Lawson, but he's well proportioned. He's not like big bellied and overweight type of thing. He's a guy who's, you know, meaty shoulders, just built like a Mack truck. So six foot in height with a 79 inch reach, the shorter fighter than three inches by height, but has a two inch reach advantage. That's always interesting. Now on tap, Bodge says he's out of Killer B Combat Sport. That is a pretty good gym. It is in New Jersey. You got some UFC fighters there, but I read an article. The link is down below for that article that he trains with American Kickboxing Academy now under the likes of, you know, those guys. Good program, put it that way. And I do believe it was Daniel Cormier who was his first contact to consider the idea of going to mixed martial arts after his college days. So yeah, that makes sense. American Kickboxing seems to be his home now. As for the numbers on Tapology, Lawson is a big favorite, getting 83% of the votes, only 18% coming for Williams. I do agree, I concur. I do like Lawson to win the fight. Most likely round one by KO. That prop is not out, this specific round prop but we'll talk about some of the props that are available. Now, before we get to that, let's talk about the background of these two fighters. For Carl Williams, had a 5-1 amateur record. Went professional in 2021, so a bit of pro only for about a year. He fought an icon, which is Mr. Jorge Masvidal's promotion. PFL, had a fight in PFL this past, this year, actually Challenger Series, and also XMMA. So has fought in good promotions, and I, I do want to underline, has fought at least in good promotions. Now, the opponents, <laughs> not so much, but good promotions. His last fight. Let's talk about his last four fights, right? Simone Marini. That was this year. Round one TKO. His last fight. Marini is 9-9 overall. Dude has lost six straight fights in a row. Give you an idea of the quality of competition there. Kyle Wright. Now, this fight we did watch. That was also this year. Icon FC3. Again, that's Jorge, Jorge Masvidal's promotion. Wright is 2-1 overall. Williams did miss weight in that fight, notably. So Williams came in like three or four pounds overweight. It was a light heavyweight bout. It was changed over to be a catchweight bout. Williams ragdolled this guy for three full rounds. Kyle Wright, that is. So Williams ragdolls him, wrestles him for three full rounds. And if you look at that fight in a vacuum, you're thinking to yourself, this guy Carl Williams could wrestle. He's got some chops, right? It's a light heavyweight bout, though. That, that's a big factor, right? He's light, light heavyweight. It's almost a full 60 pounds different from the heavyweight division. So whatever he's doing in that fight, you have to factor it again is against a light heavyweight. Ugly fight, very boring, gets the win easily. Okay. Prior fight, Miles Amos. That was this year in the PFL, excuse me, contender series. He wins the fight by decision. Amos is five and three overall. You're getting sort of a theme on how this guy fights. He's not a big time finisher. He has finishes in his background, but he's a grappler, position control, wear you down, exhaust you. Now, people say it's his first fight at heavyweight. That may not be true, though. Look back at this topology. Look at Charles Philpot, P-H-I-L-P-O-T, Mr. Philpot. Deserves a special mention, this guy. Mr. Phil Philpot, who's a heavyweight, waiting like 268, I believe, in his last fight. Bonafide heavyweight. You know, bonafide. My man's five foot five. <laughs> so in the first ever pro fight for Carl Williams, he did fight as a heavyweight, but he fought a guy who was five foot five. <laughs> And he won the fight by 
a round one TKO, end of round one, gets on top of the guy, starts landing some ground and pound. I mean, that film link's down below if you want to indulge. That is some low-level mixed martial arts. So he has fought heavyweight before, technically. But on a serious note, his last four or five fights have all been light heavyweight, moving up now in weight class for this fight, coming in late replacement. I mean, he's sort of crossing all the T's or dotting all the I's when it comes to red flags uh, for Carl Williams coming to this fight. Now, what's the like about Carl? I've been talking about my concerns. What do I like about him? He will have a three-inch height advantage in this matchup. Does it matter? Probably not since he has a reach disadvantage, but he does have a height advantage in this matchup. He is a very strong wrestler. Now, if he wasn't fighting a guy who was a former multiple-time state champion, and even though Mr. Lawson did not win any titles in college for national championship-level titles, he was on Penn State's national winning team, so he did technically win a national championship as part of their national championship team and got a ring and whatever else. So he did that twice, I believe, at Penn State. Nonetheless, you have to admire the wrestling ability of Carl Williams. He can wrestle, very good wrestle. Just not sure how much he's going to work in this fight. I'm sure he's going to try. <laughs> he's also been very durable. Now, I thought to myself, Lawson has KO power. He throws with a ton of steam. We're going to talk about that more in a second. But you can't ignore the fact that Carl Williams has never been knocked out. Never been knocked out. Amateur or pro. Now, has been finished twice, both times by submission. But if you follow the way Lawson fights, Lawson's looking to knock your head off. He's not looking to choke you out and finesse you. He wants to knock your freaking head off. And he wants to do it pretty fast. Now, what are my concerns here for Mr. Williams? Well, the obvious one coming in late replacement. The second one being he's moving up in weight. He has fought a heavyweight bout before. But again, we qualified what that heavyweight bout was. So coming in now as a in a full-on heavyweight against a guy who is a heavyweight, very tough. And last but not least, the competition he's faced has been okay at best. Now he's going in against a better opponent and also with a weight class. He had a lot of concerns there. Now, as for Jimmy Lawson, born and raised in New Jersey, a lot of accolades for this guy here. Okay, let me take a deep breath. Three-time heavyweight state wrestling champion in New Jersey. He played two years of Division I college football at Monmouth University. It's like Division I AA or FCS, whatever you want to call it. Was there for two years and needed to change the scenery based upon an article I read. Wanted to get back to wrestling. Penn State coach, I guess, caught wind of this. Went out to New Jersey, recruited him, sat down with him, and he signed to go to Penn State. Goes on to Penn State, wrestles there for two seasons. Doesn't win any individual big-time awards. But again, his team wins a national championship twice. He has a pretty good career. He actually has like a pro day there. If you can imagine this, he has an NFL pro day where some NFL scouts came to Penn State to look at him work out. So even after doing two years of wrestling in college, people were still looking at him in the NFL. Didn't sign with the NFL, so that didn't work out. Gets a phone call from Daniel Cormier, of all the people, right? Heavyweight guy, you know, UFC legend. He calls Jimmy Lawson and says, listen, have you ever thought about mixed martial arts? Consider it. And from there, the door opens. So this is a guy who's with a very deep athletic background. Obviously, two-sport athlete, Division One level, Penn State, you know, football, wrestling, the whole deal. He now trains, I believe, out of AKA. That's what I've read, even though it listed his gym in New Jersey. Um, either way, both good gyms. He went professional 2019 about three years ago. He had no amateur experience, though, again, he's had a lot of wrestling experience and whatever else. He lost his pro debut via decision to Saeed Salma. Now, Salma is currently in Bellator. He's been on a rough streak recently, but at least it's a Bellator-level fighter, and it was by decision. I wish I could see that fight because I couldn't find anyone on the internet, but I wish I could watch that fight. Now, part of this fight for Jimmy Lawson, he fought in LFA and Ring of Combat. This will be a slight step up in competition for him, I believe. I mean, I, I think LFA is one of the best lower-level promotions you can imagine. And Ring of Combat's not that bad either. All right, last opponent, Marino Eatman. Oh, boy. All right, so Eatman is 5-5-1 five, five overall. 
you know, kind of says it all right there. It was a TKO, very fast, in round one. Eatman kind of fell down, got knocked down, tripped down, whatever you want to call it, and then just got beat up on the ground. And you've got Lawson just landing hammer fist. It wasn't very sexy. It was very simple. Eatman had no business being in there. Prior fight, Anthony Garrett. Another knockout in round one. Garrett is 6-6. Six and six. So last two opponents, as you can see, 500-level fighters. Both have fought you know, 10, 11, 12 fights. Not very impressive. For Garrett, he's lost his last four MMA fights in a row. And if you look at his topology, he's more of a kickboxer, boxer anyway. His prior opponent before this guy. Justin Richwine. What a beautiful name. Justin Richwine. Well, Justin Richwine is one and seven overall. He knocked out Richwine in round one, 2019. Another opponent, Edwin Smart, 2019. Round two TKO win. Smart is three and five overall and hasn't won a fight in three years. Smart also lost his... Uh, he also lost to Chris Dalkis. That's right. I noticed that name on the topology. So Smart has fought some other guys. And then, of course, Saeed Salma, we mentioned that fight before, which they fought back in 2019, and he lost the fight by decision, which means the only person that Lawson fought that had any kind of credentials was Salma, and he lost to Salma. Now, consider this. Salma's 8-4 and four overall, and Salma has lost three of his last five fights, has begun to turn into a bit of a pumpkin there, I say, just not meeting his full potential. But that was the one person Lawson, fight, Lawson fought that was actually decent and he lost that fight. Again, I wish you could see that fight. Now, what's to like about Lawson's game? Well, finishing ability. It's, it's through the roof, right? His last three fights, here's how they ended. 34 seconds, round one. 18 seconds, round one. 22 seconds in round one. He's knocking people out. He's hurting people with his hands. He throws with a ton of power. His wrestling background should protect him in this fight. He should be able to defend takedowns from Williams, get his own takedowns, but at the very least, neutralize whatever Williams brings to the table. Now, Williams has a wrestling background himself, and he does a pretty good job wrestling in mixed martial arts. But, man, he's not a natural heavyweight. Those are the accolades that Jimmy Lawson has. So you'd imagine Jimmy Lawson should be able to defend the takedowns and, if anything, have his own way with, when it comes to wrestling. And lastly, for Lawson, he's just a damn gifted athlete. We talked about this before. Multiple sports, the guy is simply a very gifted athlete. The UFC loves these kind of guys, multiple sport, Penn State, the whole deal. Um, you know, this is what they want. And of course, they're in dire need of more heavyweights. So there's a narrative there. Lawson looks good right now as a good prospect. The UFC knows what they're doing. They're serving him up a guy who's not even a real heavyweight. Lawson should walk through this guy, get a first round knockout. That's what I'm thinking. Now, what are my concerns for Mr. Lawson? Well, who has he fought, right? He has not fought good people outside of Said Salma. He's fought pretty much nobody. So of his four wins total, those four opponents, their combined record is 15-23-1. I mean, that's just the reality. He has not fought anyone worth a grain of salt, and he's beating these guys easily because they're cans. How will he look in round three if Williams makes this just ugly enough? A guy in Williams who has never been knocked out, so maybe he takes a few punches, he grapples to survive, he slows things down. We get into a round two, round three, things get ugly and slow. How does Lawson look? I don't know. Does he have a cardio dump? Does he blow his watch trying to knock this guy out in round one? Does his wrestling all of a sudden not hold up in round three or four, round three, excuse me, not four, in round two or round three because he's fatigued? Now, with Carl Williams, I've watched him wrestle for all three rounds. It's not pretty. It's, you know, not fun to watch, but he can do it. For Lawson, he's knocking people out Mike Tyson style within seconds. Could he get the situation where he's in round two, round three, get tired, and now his power is diminished? The cardio is being a factor, the main factor, and now his wrestling is also diminished. 
These are question marks for me and reasons for why if you really want to back Lawson here and you want to bet a lot on him, I would caution you from doing that. I do like him at minus 175. It's a fair price given all the factors that are affecting Williams. But still, there's ways where you can see this fight getting a little bit ugly and things can be kind of turned upside down if you catch my drift. So, <clears throat> in summary, here's what I'm thinking here. I think Williams has a legit shot as a dog. He's a dog to consider. But Lawson is the better fighter right now. He's at the heavyweight division. He's in the right bracket for himself. He's in the right weight class, whereas Williams, you can't say that. Williams coming in last minute. You know, don't make this too difficult for yourself, basically. Like, I just made it pretty difficult, this long breakdown. But the long short of it is Lawson should win the fight, and he should win by some kind of a TKO. Now, the props I want to consider for this fight, the fight not going to decision is minus 220. Love that spot. If you're talking about just betting a spot where you don't want to choose a side, you think it's going to be some violence, heavyweights, Parlay that piece. Love it. A KO win for Lawson is only plus 165. Gives you an idea of what the books think. I'm not going to play it, but I want to highlight that because it gives you an idea of, again, there's little value there. A decision win for Williams. Now, this is interesting. Plus 450. Wouldn't that be the method? Lay and pray. Wear out his opponent. Get some position control. He's done it before. He's done it in his most recent fights. He's not much of a finisher. In terms of finishing ability, Lawson definitely has the edge in that area and, and hits with a lot of power. But for Williams, the path would be to slow this thing down, drag it out, make it ugly, get top control, and ruin the parade for Lawson. Probably won't get a contract like that, but that's the way he fights. So at plus 450, maybe a spot I might consider playing for decision prop there for Williams. Now, a round one finish for Lawson, any kind of finish in round one is only plus 210. So again, the bookies have already chewed this down. There's not much value there. I imagine when the round one TKO finish comes out close to the fight, I might want to play that. But again, if it's still plus 250, plus 275, plus 300, enough value there. So long and short of it is, heavyweight bout, play the violence props. No distance, minus 220. Lawson, minus 175. I like him right there. He probably wins the fight easily. But uh, it is still low level, and it's still heavyweight. And these guys both pack some power, so anything's possible, I guess, if you look at it that way. Lawson's the pick. That's our breakdown. Let's move on. All right, the second to last fight in the card is going to be a welterweight battle at 170 pounds between Gabriel Bonfim, the brother of the earlier Bonfim on the card, versus Trey Waters. Trey Waters goes by the truth, undefeated at 6-0, 5 in his last five fights, obviously, but quite a big dog here, around plus 285, depending on what you're using. Mr. Waters hails out of Jacksonville, Florida, 27 years old, six foot four in height with a 77 entry, so you have a 3-inch height and reach advantage in this matchup. Trains out of Lettuce MMA. As for Gabriel Bonfim, who goes by... Martina, I looked it up. If you translate Martina from Portuguese to English, it translates to Little Mart. Must be some kind of slang I don't get, but anyway, Little Mart, Gabriel Bonfim, is 12-0, undefeated. Very impressive. Minus 375, minus 360, depending on what butt you're looking at. So he opened around minus 250, I believe. Minus 275 has exploded over the last few days. It makes sense. I am on Bonfim to win the fight as well. But once you get to that minus 300 range, it gets a little bit scary in terms of straight-up bets on the money line, right? Out of Brazil, 25 years old, 6'1", high with a 74-inch reach, and trains out of Equipe Samurai, according to Tapology. But I believe his brother, brother excuse me, trains out of Cerrado, which is also the gym where you've got some of the UFC fighters. So I believe they're both training there. That's what I would understand, but I, I could be off. Anyway, height and reach-wise, again, there'll be an advantage there for Trey Waters. And if you watch Trey Waters fight, the guy's very long, very tall. Reminds me a bit of Sean Woodson. Is that the guy I'm thinking of? The very long, tall fighter who's in the UFC who just lost recently. So yeah, that kind of a build, very tall for the division, six foot four against 170 pounds. Reminds me of last week we had the 
Enrique fighter, right? Who was six foot five, but 170 pounds. So if you can imagine that type of a build. Anyway, as for the votes in topology, Bonfim is getting 92% of the votes, only 8% coming from Waters. I agree with Bonfim being the favorite, but I'm a little surprised Waters is not getting a little more love on the uh, topology front. But anyway, let's play these two fighters' background. For Gabriel Bonfim, from Brazil, comes from a very large family. We mentioned before he's one of 10 brothers. He went professional 2014, so been a pro for about eight years, no amateur experience. And he went 2-0 in LFA recently. So his claim to fame recently was through LFA. Had those two fights, won both them, and then now from there has got the opportunity here for the Contender Series. He fights with a right-handed stance. He's a right-handed fighter. Some recent fights to talk about. Eduardo Garvan, 2022, this year. A round one Darius Chirk win that was in LFA. Garvan missed weight, so the guy was not really prepared. He missed weight by like almost 10 pounds. So the guy was definitely not coming in here seriously. And pretty much out the gate, Eduardo just get the shit kicked out of him within a matter of a minute of the fight he's already cut he's already bleeding he's in bad shape and you can just see he was overwhelmed and bonfim just overwhelms him goes after the guy gets a nice darts choke it was textbook had the darts choke in both legs wrapped around the lower body perfect position excellent just dominating but garvon is the kind of guy where you have to just put that in perspective it wasn't the best opponent it was an lfa yes but not the best opponent prior fight brenner arberth alberth excuse me this is probably the biggest win of his career. Alberth was 8-0 at the time. Now Alberth is 8-1. That was 2021 last year. A round 3 TKO win. Again, undefeated fighter who never finished, finished before, excuse me, and that was in LFA. So again, a quality win against a, against a young opponent that's up and rising. Now another fight to talk about. Mosir Roca. This fight's available. The link's down below. 2019 round 2 submission win. Now this fight's weird because in the, in the actual pre-fight, it lists this guy, Roca, as being 25 years old. I have never seen someone who looks so old for 25. He legit looks like he's 45. Anyway, the fight starts off, and you see right away this Roca guy is just not good. And it's not the fault of Gabriel Bonfimi's fighting cans, but it's a common theme with a lot of the fighters in the tennis series. And this is an example of that. He does finish the fight in round two, but what you see in that fight that kind of a hint to me, early on in the career, I think Bonfim did not have a lot behind his punches. I think his punches were lacking power. I think he's improved in that area. But that Roka fight's a fight I'll get back to, and I'll explain to you why. What's it like about Bonfim? What does he do well? Very high finish rate. Nine of his 12 wins have been by finish. Now, the three that I'm pointing out that are not by finish, they could have been finishes. But on Tapology, it just goes as a win. doesn't say how he won the fight. So he could have had more finishes. But based on what I'm seeing on Tapology, nine of his 12 wins are by finish. Eight by submission and one by TKO clearly looking to win by submission on the ground that's his area of expertise which brings me back to the point of how much punching power does he have we'll get back to that he likes to push the pace force his opponent to work off the back foot i love that he sets up most of his opponents with clear simple left-handed lead jabs so he's lead lead jab lead jab boom power punch lead jab lead jab a kick comes behind it lead jab takedown so he works behind the lead jab which i love it's good discipline fighting he does have an excellent, excuse me, he does also a very good job of cutting off the cage. So he forces his opponents to back up. That's one thing. But instead of chasing these people, he cuts up the cage. Again, good footwork, good high fighter IQ. If he gets on top, if the opportunity is there to get on top of someone, he will lay ground and pound. He'll invite the opportunity. He'll get he'll get the best of his opponent, put it that way. He's not going to look for takedowns often. But again, if he's on a top position, he'll take advantage of it. Now, what are my concerns here for Mr. Bonfi? Well, limited competition. It goes for both fighters. It goes for all the fighters in the contender series pretty much. Other than the KO win that he had over Alberth, he just hasn't really fought good guys. It's hard to sort of gauge how he would do against better competition. I do think Trey Waters is a step-up competition for him. He's a pretty good fighter, but again, we just don't know how he will respond. It's a bit of a question mark for all the fighters here, right? He has finishing ability, but I mentioned this before. The fight against Roca, 
when you watch that fight, he lands some really hard shots or will look to be hard shots, and Roca seems to be okay. Now translate, now move forward. I'm sorry, move forward to his last fight where he pieces the guy up within a minute, cuts him, hurts him, gets a Darce choke win, but if he wanted to get a TK win, he could have got a TK win in his last fight in the LFA. So, you know, maybe he's gotten better with his punching power. Maybe he's evolved, gotten stronger, gotten older. But it's an area of his game that's a little question mark. Does he really have finishing power with his hands? It seems to be at this point, it's more through submissions. Now, as for Trey Waters, 7-2-1 amateur career. Nice 10-fight amateur experience. Went professional 2020, two years ago. He's fought in LFA and Combate prior to this opportunity. His last fight, this year against Benjamin Bennett. And boy, oh boy, you got to watch this fight because he's losing the fight. He loses round one, round two. All of round three, and then referee separates them. He lands the perfect knee while this guy's trying to come in for a clinch again. One one knee, knockout, that's it. It's over. For Benjamin Bennett, he fought almost the perfect fight. He squashed this guy who's taller up against the fence. He got him down, owned position control. It was ugly, not, nothing very sexy. What you see there is that there's a chink in the armor for Trey Waters. He has a hard time defending takedowns. He has a hard time defending people who want to grapple him. The reach is nice. Being six foot four, he'll always have the reach advantage in most of his matchups in this division. But we saw right there in a recent fight where he got very fortunate to win the fight the last minute. I'm not saying he got lucky, but it was very similar to like the Kamar Usman fight where, you know, it was very fortunate, put it that way. A prior opponent, we watched Sean Hodasing, sorry, Hodasing, H-O-T-U-S-I-N-G. That was 2021, round one TKO win. He jumps over this guy, and that's just a theme. You know, he this guy had no business being in there, and Trey Waters just knocks him out with a simple right hand. The fight ends kind of weird, where the referee steps in, doesn't even let the guy have a chance to, I don't know, it's supposed to be mixed martial arts, right? Looking more like a boxing match. But anyway, got the win there over a guy who's lower level. Now, go back to his amateur days. He fought Elvin Espinosa. Does the name ring a bell? If it doesn't, it's okay. He fights in the PFL, in the PFL playoffs this year, so the guy's legit. He lost that fight to Espinosa in 2017, five years ago, via round one submission. Not a big deal. Espinosa 7-0, undefeated professional fighter, and obviously in the PFL playoffs. So just a notable opponent he had there in the past. Now, what's it like about Trey Waters? Well, number one, the dude is huge. He'll have a three-inch height advantage and a three-inch reach advantage. If the fight takes place at a distance, you have to imagine he has the advantage. You have to imagine over the course of two, three rounds, he probably gets the edge there, lands the nicer, more flashier kicks, punches. His legs are so long, he can kick people from extremely long distance, long range. That'll be there for him if he's allowed to fight at distance. His his chin is solid. We got to imagine if he gets hit hard, he's shown in the past, he can take a punch. He's been finished before, but by submission, never been KO'd before. And his finish rate is also very high, just like his opponent. Of his wins, six of them total, all six by finish, three by TKO, and three by submission. So look, the guy has finishing power, both in his hands and his feet. We'll see what happens here. I do think eventually over the course of three rounds, someone gets finished. And the prop bet actually suggests that. We'll go over that prop bet in a second. What are my concerns, though, for Trey Waters? Well, his opponent, I guess strength of schedule. We have to look at that for every fighter. But man, he's really been fighting some weaker level guys. And in his last opponent, Benjamin Bennett, okay fighter he was getting dominated in that fight you just don't like to see that and he got lucky at the end he pretty much got lucky to come out of there with a win if he did not get that lucky knee he's not even in the spot right so he got very fortunate situation his takedown defense not good his grappling defense not good um against a guy who wants to grapple him take him down peel that long frame to the ground he's gonna have a hard time now is that bomb theme's game it's some of his game enough to give it a problem it's not where he does all of his work but if he does some of that work in the fight you can see him easily getting two of the three rounds here against Waters. Now, 
I mentioned before the chance of some violence, but I do want to clarify this. Waters does have a chin. So even though I can see some violence here, I can see somebody getting a finish. It's most likely, the more I think about it, probably going to the distance. It's probably going to decision. Waters has a chin. I see going back and forth. We see some fireworks at some point, but I do think the fight goes the full distance. Now, as for my final conclusion here, what are my final thoughts on these two fighters? Well, I'm going to go with Bonfim to win. I think he's the rightful favorite. Now, minus 310, minus 350, minus 375, whatever else. That's We're starting a little bit to a chalky range. I'm going to parlay him. In terms of the prop bets for this fight, the ones that attract me the most will be the fight not going the distance at minus 350 because someone probably gets to somebody. I imagine, I don't know how. But if it does go the full distance, I'm also not surprised. But in my S350, the books are telling us they expect to see some violence. Now, the submission prop for Bonfim is plus 140. Don't love it. It's only plus 140. The KO prop, though, for Trey Waters is plus 575. So if you think lightning strikes twice, he gets another knockout win here, maybe late in the fight over Trey Waters. Maybe Trey Waters makes a mistake, catches a knee himself. I mean, it's got Trey Waters. I mean, sorry, Trey Waters delivers a knee, and Bonfim catches the knee. I mean, Waters is a very tall guy. Long knees, again, like Sean Woodson. So anything's quite possible. At plus 575, it's tempting to play. But I don't have a great read in this fight in terms of the over or the under. A part of me wants to say it definitely goes over around and a half, but maybe not over two and a half. I'm not sure. Either way, look, I like Gabriel Bonfim. That's my play here. I'm going to parlay him with some bit of confidence. I think he moves to 13-0. I think he's the better fighter right now. And for Trey Waters, wonderful opportunity, but you know, kind of an opportunity where he kind of backed into this thing here. And I think for right now, Bonfim is the better fighter with a more likely possibility of securing a contract. In the event it goes to decision though, I will say this, I can still see Dana giving a contract to Bonfim if he were to win via decision because it's going to be a pretty good fight. And Trey Waters is not an easy opponent. That's the breakdown guys, go look at this fight. And we're up to the main event. It's a light heavyweight bout, 205 pounds. Vitor Petrino, who goes by Isacio from Brazil, versus another Brazilian, Rodolfo Bellato. Not to be confused with Bellator, it's Bellato. Ends with a no. He goes by Traitor or Traitor, however you want to pronounce it. It doesn't mean Traitor, it's not spelled T R A I T O R. It's not Tractor, but it's Traitor. Nonetheless, here, Mr. Rodolfo is 8 1 overall. His one loss being against a Vitor they fought a few years ago. We'll talk about that fight. Rodolfo's 8-1, as we mentioned before, 4 in his last five fights. A slight dog here at plus 140 in the money line. Out of Sao Paulo, Brazil. Six foot three in height. Out of Team Noguera. Very good gym. We don't have an age here listed on Bellato, but I believe he's 27. I'll have to look it up here before the video breaks down. If I missed that, please correct me down below. Give it in the comments section. As for Mr. Patrino, 6-0, undefeated. 5-0, obviously, in his last five fights. A favor here at minus 160 to minus 175. And I do like him to win. I like him to win the rematch. Full disclosure, limited film on him, which always gives me the heebie-jeebies. And this fight, probably I have the least, let's say, the, when I have a, the least amount of confidence in my actual selection here. I'm picking Petrino, but there are some X factors we'll talk about. Petrino's very young, 25 years old, six foot two in height. It says he's one inch shorter than Bellato, but they fought before, and they were about the same height. I think even Petrino may have a little bit of a height advantage over him. So I'm imagining this height here listed on Tapology is incorrect. As for Petrino, he trains, out of, he trains out of CM System, excuse me. So both guys are out of pretty good gyms. Now, as for the numbers on Tapology, it appears Petrino is the favorite, getting 72% of the votes here on Tapology, 28% coming in for Bellato. It makes sense. You know, sometimes you don't need to reinvent the wheel. They fought before. In the prior fight, one guy knocked out the other guy. Now, for those who say it was lucky... And those who say it was like a flash knockdown in 25 seconds, I'm going to get back to that when we break these two fighters down. Let's talk here first, though, about Mr. Rodolfo Bellato. 
from Brazil, as we mentioned before. As it seems like every other fighter on these Dana Wicked Series fight cards, they're like all from Brazil. Went pro about five years ago, 2017. Had no amateur experience. Went 2-0 and in the LFA prior to this opportunity. This fight will be a rematch, of course, from 2019 when they fought three years ago. And Bellato got knocked out in round one with 25 seconds. A left hook. Not a very hard one, but a sharp, sharp left hook. His last fight for Rodolfo, that is, was Thiago Vieira. This year, round one submission went. He pretty much bullied this poor guy. Came out, <laughs> knocked him around on the feet, then got a very nice submission win, and he shows his submission prowess because not only does he get the submission win, he is chain like chain wrestling, chain submissioning, put it that way. Going from one sub to the other, working the arm bar, then going to the triangle choke. You see that on the ground, he's very proficient. That's his wheelhouse. He does very well there. On the feet, he has his moments, but definitely on the ground, that's his strong suit. His prior fight, Carlos Eduardo, that was 2021, last year, round one rear naked choke win. Eduardo's 5-3 overall, okay fighter. Marcos Matos, we did watch this fight, this was three years ago, 2019, had a round one TKO win over Matos. He simply overpowered the guy, overwhelmed him, pressure and pace. Matos is 4-2 overall, so again, another average fighter. When Rodolfo's on his game, he's coming forward, he's bullying, he's got the... Uh, sort of bravado about him that's his fighting style he's not going to sit on the outside and pick you apart like a very technical boxer he's a come forward type of guy get in your face and get a brawl going now what's the like about Bellato? high finish rate makes sense he's coming forward he's looking to start a fight with you six of his eight wins on tapology are by finish the two that are not by finish there are two that are li listed as wins but i don't know how so maybe they were finishes of the six finishes that we do know of three were by tko and three by submission he did a very good job of executing a reversal in one of his recent fights where I saw him on the ground on his back and actually got a great reversal position. Now, I will say in that moment watching the reversal happen, it wasn't great technique. It was more like he just overpowered his opponent. That works at times as you move up the ladder. It doesn't always overwork to just overpower or overstrength or use your strength to overpower your opponent. It just doesn't work that way. He likes to use a nice, good, tight body lock to bring his opponents down. You'll see that on film as well. He'll get, a, he'll get a body lock. He'll slam his opponent to the ground. And again, on the ground is where he wants to work at. Now, what are my concerns for Bilato? What are the weak points in his game? Well, my biggest one is fighter IQ. I'm going to give you some examples. Okay, there's a fight where he goes and he tries to do a knee against the fence. Like, he's got the guy against the fence. He's got both hands, like almost like a Muay Thai type of clinch. He goes for a knee and just like takes both feet off the ground, ends up on his back. And I'm like, dude, like you have the guy in a position against the fence, land some knees are fine, but why would you grab the back of the head, pull your own body weight up, then take both feet off the ground? I mean, just really weird that he did it, landed up on his back. He's also done it before where he did a hitch kick in the middle of the octagon, like middle of the octagon, he thinks he's like karate boy, hitch kick, not even close to landing. And I wanna say he lands almost flat on his back, like backdrop on the ground he's on the ground his opponent gets on top of him easily gets position control so this is a common thing with him where he will do explosive wild maneuvers in the feet and then find himself out of position very low fighter iq and maybe the biggest issue with this fight is he's fought this guy before and he got knocked out in 25 seconds that's got to be somewhere in the back of his mind that they fought before not only did he lose he lost quickly drastically he probably barely remember what happened because he got knocked out in 25 seconds. So that can't be good for his psyche. Now, does that mean he's preparing more for that left hook? Does it mean he'll come in a little more cautious, maybe fight a different kind of game plan? Yes, but I'm just saying the obvious. If you fought somebody before, they knocked out 25 seconds, it's going to be in the back of your head. 
Now, as for Vitor Petrino, also from Brazil, had a 3-1 amateur career, went professional 2019, so been a pro for about three years. He fought in UAE Warriors and AFT prior to this opportunity. His last fight was against a former UFC fighter, Antigulov. Now, I will put it out there, Antigulov has fallen off, and he's a former UFC fighter for a reason, as in former. So he had a bit of a rough run there and lost his contract. That was last year they fought. Round two, TKO win. That was at UAE Warriors, number 22. So solid win from the perspective that it was a former UFC fighter. But again, we have to put it in context. A guy whose his prime is past him. Put it that way. Now, his prior fight before that, Cake or Kaik Sauza, round one, TKO win. Souza is 0-1. His prior fight before that, Fabio Goyas, G-O-I-S. I apologize for mispronunciation. A round one TKO win. And, of course, Goyas is 0-7. So you're looking at guys that he's fought recently that are, at best, either over the hill, old, have shown some chinks in the armor, weak chins, or in the case of the two prior fights, have no wins <laughs> between the two of them. What are we finding out about him? We're not finding out much. We know he can beat cans. We know he can beat guys that, that are not very good. Doesn't give us a lot to work with, right? From the film I've watched on him, which is limited, Good footwork. He likes to circle. He looks like he would be better at striking. It's very confusing. He's got a long-looking body type. He's got this Alex Pereira type of quality and look to him, but doesn't strike like Alex Pereira. And striking is a little bit raw at times. Now, has it gotten better? Yes, he's very young. He's making improvements. And heck, he's gotten some knockouts, right? But I think the striking area is, to me, a bit of a, a question mark. And I expect it to be better. I just don't know how much better. Very high finish rate. Of his six career wins, five have been by finish. All five by TKO, though, mind you. So no submission wins yet. Is that Does that mean he's not good at BJJ? Does that mean it's a weak part of his game? Not sure what to make of him. But for right now, all of his finishes by have been by TKO. The last thing I want to point out here. And so I'm going to paint this picture half glass full, half glass empty. Everyone who I've heard do a cap on this fight has mentioned that Petrino has fought nobody. He's fighting cans. You know, and... Everyone acknowledges that. I get it. And then people talk about Bellato and they say, well, when they fought the first time, he got clipped with some people have described a massive hook or a massive shot, whatever. No, it wasn't massive. It was very quick. It was very clean. But it wasn't the third or fourth punch from a very long, hard combination. It wasn't the second or third round after having been beat up for a long time in the fight. It was 25 seconds into round one, a short left hook, and that is what knocked out Bellato. So what can we derive from that? Well, number one, there might be a chin issue. We just don't know yet. There might be a chin issue. He got knocked out right away early in the fight, not late in the fight, okay? Second of all, for the people that are pointing towards Petrino's track record and saying he's fighting nobody, fighting cans, not being tested, yeah, I agree. But he knocked out Bellato in 25 seconds. So what does that say about Bellato? <laughs> If you're going to say Petrino's fighting no one and getting worthless wins and not very good and you question his ability, okay, all right. But he knocked out Bellato. <laughs> now, granted, on the flip side, you go half glass full for Bellato and say it was a flash knockout. It was fluky. It, it just one punch, whatever. Um, now in the rematch, he'll be more prepared. He's going to look to get the ground game going. He's going to be you know, just more adjusted. It was three years ago. They've both grown. I get all that too. But you can't have it both ways. You can't point towards Petrino's record as being soft and suspect and then and then forget about that he knocked this guy out in the process. Because if his record is soft and suspect, then what the hell does that make for Bellato? Anyway, the long and short of it is, I think if you look at that from a different perspective, I'm looking at it like, listen, he knocked the dude out. Let's not make this very complicated. When you knock someone out in a fight, 
It's very clear who has the advantage. I imagine Petrino comes to this fight with a mental edge. No question. He's got the mental, mental confidence edge, right? All right, now what are my concerns here for Victor Petrino? Well, number one, he doesn't fight very often. He hasn't fought this year yet. I don't love that. For a young fighter, should be a little more busy. Now, he did fight three times last year, okay, but needs to be more active. It's important for young fighters to be active, so I'm not sure why, but why the long break. He's fought very little competition. We've beaten this down. We know most of the past opponents have been weak, guys with no winning record. We got all that. I get it, but you only can beat who you're beating, right? This will be a step up in competition for him, I guess, even though he's already beat this guy before. We'll see what happens. Now, another thing about him, it's kind of weird. He looks like a good, rangy fighter. I remember I mentioned before, he reminds me of Alex Pereira in some kind of a way. But the striking is raw, and I, I do have to see more from him for the striking. I do got to see more with these long limbs, long legs. Can he be functional on the feet for three rounds? Can he win a fight on the feet for three rounds? And I guess that goes for both fighters, right? So just a lot of question marks in general. And the film that I had on Petrino was very limited. I saw one and a half fights, pretty much. That's what I was able to get here on Petrino. So it wasn't a lot of film. And from that perspective, it leaves me a lot of question marks that I don't know. Young fighter, as you can see, I'm not confident in this pick. But I am staying on the side of Petrino. My final few thoughts are this. I could see Bellato making the adjustment, getting the takedowns, pursuing submissions. Even the money line is attractive at plus money. I get all of it, right? But again, I can't help but to think that the guy who beat him before is going to be standing in front of him again, who knocked him out. And there's a lot to be said for that. The prop bets that are attractive for this fight, the ones that you might want to consider, at least from a parlay perspective, would be the fight not going the distance, sitting at a whopping minus 550. <laughs> not a lot of value there. But if you want to parlay the main event with some safety, I think you're safe there. I feel like there's going to be some violence at some point. And it's either Bellato, Bellato excuse me, getting a submission win or overwhelming Petrino or vice versa. Petrino getting a knockout of some kind. But it seems to be too chalky to want to play it too much. I'm going to play it, but not going to play with a lot of confidence. I think it's your best spot in this fight because, honestly, there's a lot of X factors. We could go to a full decision, too. I mean, I really just don't know. I'm going to take Petrino. It's my least confident pick on the card in terms of my pick to win i picked maya earlier as a big underdog but i have more confidence in her winning that fight than i probably do here in petrino because there's just so many variables but i still like him in this spot i'm going to go with petrino to win at minus 160 to minus 170 a lot of value there i'll play it straight up half unit maybe in that range good luck with this guys all right boys and girls just a summary of our picks to win here for week number seven of dana white contender series starting at the top in the main event we like petrino then moving on down we like Bonfin, that's Gabrielle Bonfin winning over Trey Waters. We like Jimmy Lawson, Naraman Abazov beating Ishmael Bonfin. And in the first fight in the car, women's bout, we're going to go with the dog here, Nayara Maya. We're going with three favorites in Lawson, Bonfin, and Petrino. Abazov is a pick'em, so there's really no favorite there. And then the one big dog we're going after is Nayara Maya. And from a betting perspective, we're going to parlay Abazov. I like him a lot, ton of confidence there and a lot of value, along with Gabriel Bonfin. I don't feel very confident in the main event. I have mixed confidence on that heavyweight fight. It's a heavyweight battle. I don't know that I'm going to bet either side of the main line with a lot of confidence. I'll probably look at that prop of the fight not going to distance at minus 220. All the bets that we're going to have in this fight will be up on our profile on Betman.tips, and it'll also be available on Twitter. So follow us on the Twitter, on the gram, and you'll get all the information you're looking for for our bets. With all that said, guys, thank you for joining us. Please like and subscribe. We appreciate your support, and good luck with this fight card.